Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. I want to hasten straight in tonight with very little preliminary. I want to get right into where we left off this morning. If you were not here this morning, uh, then uh, I suppose uh, when the podcast comes up, if you're interested, you can grab it. I'm going to back up one or two verses just to kind of kick us off here. Uh, what we left off this morning talking about, our subject matter is beneficiary. And we left having just talked about Jesus recanting an Old Testament story of the people of Israel and how they had spoke against God and Moses. And in doing so, God had sent fiery serpents among them in Numbers chapter 21. And the people were dying from these fiery snakes and their snake bites. And they cried out to Moses for God's mercy. So God told Moses to make a serpent of brass and lift it up on a pole for them to see. So, well, that's, that's, that's strange. Well, that's why the Bible says that God's ways are not man's ways. He, he does things in our mind It's a little weird sometimes. But when you obey him, uh, great things happen. I, I knew of an evangelist one time when I was a child. I heard him tell the story of how in, in the middle of a church service in a small country church, the Lord had impressed upon him in worship. He wasn't even up to preach yet. But the Lord had impressed upon him in worship said, I want you to go lay down straight on your face on the platform. Just go lay down on the floor. Sounds stupid. And uh, he obeyed the Lord. And when he got up, I don't know what span of time had occurred. I don't know what he was doing when he laid there. I don't know if as soon as he laid down, he was slain in the spirit. I don't know if he was oblivious to what was going on. I, I don't know. I wasn't there. But I know that the story unfolds that when he got up, 17 people were in the altar, newly filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. What was it about him laying flat on the floor on his face that caused them to want to approach God? I don't know. That's just God. So sometimes he does things like that. And it's just, I believe, to confound the wise. It's just to get us in our own personal wisdom to realize we we don't have it all figured out. But John chapter 3 and verse number 14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpents in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, talking about Jesus, but have everlasting life. So in the Old Testament, there was a pole that was lifted up for the people to see. In the New Testament, there was another pole that was lifted up for the people to see. And that pole was the cross of Calvary. And if you just believe in the man hanging on the pole, you will be healed and you will have eternal life. Amen. So Jesus, again, for those of you that were here this morning, this story unfolding is about the man Nicodemus and Jesus explaining to him that you must be born again. And Nicodemus was struggling with that concept of rebirth. So now we see that Jesus is going to great lengths to explain that you must believe in me. 
And we went at great length this morning, extremely redundant, but we went at great length this morning to explain that we must believe in Him as the Scripture hath said. Because that's a key difference in modern day society in where we land on, on the great divide of belief or unbelief is who are you listening to? And then we continue into John 3.16, a very beloved verse, a very beautiful verse that says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's a beautiful verse. It's, it's one of the most popular verses that's often quoted in the Bible. But it's also a very misunderstood verse. Many people take this verse out of context and teach that if you'll just believe, you're saved. But it's in the very same conversation. This is why you cannot take one isolated verse and interpret it. It's in the very same conversation with Nicodemus that Jesus just said seconds ago in verse number 5 that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless you are born of water and of spirit. So these two verses do not contradict each other. These two verses do not uh, go against each other. They work together and the very point is just this. You will never be born again until you first believe. It's a simple point, but it's a powerful point. You will never go to the water and be baptized until you believe that it's necessary. Amen. You will never receive the Holy Ghost until you first believe. I knew an evangelist, different evangelist, but I knew an evangelist one time that was preaching a camp meeting, walking in among the crowd during altar service, goes up and he sees this young man standing there uh, simulating some form of prayer, thought that he might be interested, walked up to him and he said, Son, would you like to have the Holy Ghost? He said, Well, I'm not sure yet. He said, Then don't worry about it. You're not going to get the Holy Ghost by accident. Uh, when it's Christmas morning, your presents don't unwrap themselves. We're in there. We're unwrapping, we're screaming. In my house, my wife is frantically uh, scrubbing the floor and picking up all the trash and we're stuffing it in the bag and we're trying to be as neat and clean as we can be. But paper's just a-flying. Why? Because we got a present, we want to open it. Ladies and gentlemen, in its simplicity, that's exactly what the Holy Ghost is. It's a gift. All you need to do is open it. And you open it by way of worship. You open it by way of your mouth with, with rivers of life flowing abundantly from your innermost being. But it does not happen. Look at your neighbor tonight and go, whoo! does not happen. Some of you didn't do it and that's alright. It does not happen by accident. John 3, 16 in its, even in its simplicity or complexity, depending on how you look at it, it is still important. Even in, even in its misunderstood state, it's still important because it teaches us to believe. But believing is only one component to salvation. You cannot stop at believing. There must be an action that occurs from your belief. For 17 says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but 
that the world through him might be saved. Verse number 18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. Believing on him is the first step. But he that believeth not is condemned already. They don't have to do anything. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus is very clearly teaching us, you must believe. But your belief leads you to new birth by being born again of water and of spirit. When, when, uh, we, we don't have door-to-door salesmen as much as we used to. But there was a day when, when salesmen, thank, thank the Lord, but there was a day when, when salesmen would knock on the door and they would ask to come into your home and whatever it was they were saying. I used to be a door-to-door salesman and I don't miss that occupation none whatsoever. Uh, but there, you would get in their home and you were trying to convince them to, to buy and invest in whatever it was you were selling. And you made no money. You made no money unless you convinced them to believe you. But after they believed, they did something. What'd they do? They got the checkbook out. I saw commission coming. Cha-ching, cha-ching. I still hated it though. When you believe. The Bible says in the book of Acts, I believe it is, that says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed you're not going to get anything from God unless you believe first so we believe verse number 19 continues and says and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil sounds a lot like today for everyone that doeth evil let me just sidebar here for just a moment uh, don't, don't get confused over the age we're living in. I, I just feel like, like taking a pause here and just saying this. Don't let the age and the hour that we're living in destroy your walk with God for confusion. Because you're going to continue, and we touched on this briefly this morning, but you're going to continue to see things that are going to affect you if you allow it. But if we read carefully the book of Romans chapter 1, we will see very clearly that, there, that it was predicted that there would be a group and a generation that would call good evil and evil good. Well, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. So we are living in an hour predicted by the Word of God. So what, what's the answer, Brother Mason? The answer is don't lose your belief in the one who's in control. need to hold on to him firmer now than I did yesterday. I need another dose of the Holy Ghost now greater than what I needed yesterday. I need more of baptism in Jesus' name now than I did yesterday. Why? Because it's the only name that saves. It's the only name that saves. And we've got to believe in that name. Let's continue on. Verse number 20. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light 
That's why they say 4 a.m. is the most dangerous time of the day to be out. At least that's what I've always heard. It's dark. People are asleep. It's time for the thief to come in. Don't go to sleep right now. I don't mean literally right now, although that would be preferred. But don't go to sleep in this hour. Don't let your adversary rock you to sleep with deceit and lies. That we're overreacting to something. Ladies and gentlemen, what is going on in our world is very real. Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light. Lest his deeds should be reproved. It's just like it's just like taking a board that you've had outside in the yard for a long time. It's been lying on the ground. Brother Josh has got all kinds of moisture underneath it. It's been lying there and you go to it and you turn that board over. When you do, there's a bunch of little bugs living under there. Little bugs and worms and they like that wet moisture underneath that board and they don't like the light. So whenever you turn that board off, what happens? They just go... Somehow they miraculously disappear. They're gone. I don't think you could catch them if you wanted to. Why? They don't like the light. They want to live in the darkness. And it's much like a society that we live in today. There are a lot of people in the church or a lot of people in the world that won't come to church. They don't want to hear the word preached because that's light. They don't want the light to expose their darkness. But he continues in verse 21 and says, But he that doeth truth. Notice Jesus' vocabulary was very specific. He didn't say he that doeth good. Because there's a difference in doing good and a difference in doing the truth. He said, He that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So the opposite of evil is truth. It's not good. Because there's a lot of people in this world that do good things. I tip my hat to them. A lot of people, they give to the poor. They feed the hungry. They build homes for the homeless. They care for the helpless. All great things. All things instructed by the word of God that we should do. Not every one of us has the capability to do that. So the people that do, my hat's off to them. I applaud their efforts. Great. But, that doesn't save them. There's people, there's, there are people in this world, I've met people, I've talked with people, I've heard people say it. Well, my church is helping people. And I, I'm not, I, I didn't come, it's not in my notes, I'll show you at the church if you want proof. I didn't come to talk finances, but there's a group of people that says, well, my tithe is in helping people. Well, I must have struck a sour chord. You know, those are the type of times where it, it provokes a preacher to want to stay on that subject for a while. But I'll never get done tonight if I do. So you're home free. Your tithe is not in helping people. Because that's contrary to the word of God. Because the Bible says bring you all the tithes into the store. 
house. That there may be meat in whose house? Not yours. He said, mine. God speaking. So, a lot of good, but absolutely none of that will ever save your soul. So what happens? We must come to the light. We must allow our sins to be revealed. We must repent and do the truth. So there's more to salvation than just believing. Plenty of verses in the Bible. I have a holy parchment coming on. <laughs> Lord have mercy. There, there, there's plenty of verses in the Bible that talk to us about believing. None of them contradict the book of Acts. Because you could never have Acts without the belief that was established in the gospel. So we turn to the book of Romans chapter 10 and verse number 8. And the Bible says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. In other words, the very reason we preach and teach is to produce a word of faith in the heart of the hearer. And as faith is produced in the heart, it will be confessed in the mouth. He continues, the writer says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, very popular verse of scripture. I love Romans 10, 9, and 10. Uh, very, very wonderful verse about confession. And shalt believe. Everybody say believe. In thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be. You've got to pay attention to the wording. Thou shalt be saved. Now, it's very popular among certain ranks that Romans 10 and 9 is used as a salvation verse. Very popular. Because it says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shall believe in thine heart, God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I believe in the scripture 100%. I do not support its misinterpretation. Because we must understand the wording of it. It didn't say, you're saved. I, I, I won't call the denomination for anything tonight because I have no intentions of, of being disparaging toward anyone. But right is right, wrong is wrong, and the Bible is very black and white. Okay, we, we, we established that fact. We know that. But I went, to, I went through school through, uh, up through junior high and, and the first part of high school with a guy that was a fairly good friend of mine, went to a certain denominal church, and, and he came in, and, and he, he always wanted to talk church. And uh, it really kind of irritated me just a little bit because he, he was always right. And the thing that he lived for was to debate. And he loved to quote. He'd sit there and he'd quote you the Ten Commandments and he'd start at number one and he'd go through ten. He'd say, you want me to do it backwards? He'd start at ten and he'd go backwards up to one. And boy, he was just as proud of himself as he could be. And he, as a young man, used to declare what his church believed in, and he quoted Romans 10, 9 all the time. That all you had to do to be saved was just believe. 
I don't know what it's like in that, that particular denomination today. I don't know if they still practice this or not. Maybe it was just a Kentucky thing. I don't know. I'm getting that out there. You can do with it whatever you want to. I really don't care. But at that time in life, it was my understanding that in that particular assembly, all you had to do to be saved was to come down front at the right time and say, I want to be saved. Well, believe in your heart. Do you believe in your heart? Yeah, you're saved. I'm not making fun. That was literally the teaching. Come down, shake the preacher's hand. Boom, you're going to heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, let's just think about the validity of that for just a moment. If it were really that easy, why would Jesus have ever made the statement, straight is the way and narrow is the gate? And few... I think I just felt a rush of the Holy Ghost blow through here. Few there be that find it. That immediately nullifies that argument. But it doesn't nullify that verse. Look at the wording. It says, thou shalt be. Shalt be by English interpretation is will be. Amen. So if you confess with your mouth, Some of you would confess all day long if you didn't have to say anything. But he requires some effort. So if you confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart, it will lead you. That's the belief factor. It will lead you to salvation. If you confess, you shall be saved. Another reason we can see that it takes more than just belief to be saved. Just seven verses later in the same chapter, same writer, same group, Romans 10 and 16 says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. So if it was just believing, what is there left to do? Amen. Believing is a component but believing leads you to action. Why are you going at such great lengths, Brother Mason, to get this across to our attention? I'll tell you why. Thank you for asking. The reason why I'm going through such redundant and great lengths to get this across to our attention is this simple fact. If you're not acting, your belief is questionable. If you're not doing anything about what you allege to believe, then no one around you is going to believe that you believe. All right, I'll keep going. So the gospel is going to command you to do some things that goes against our 2015 grain already. Because we don't want to be commanded to do anything. I guarantee you tonight that there are some of you, and the reason why I say this is because I know I could come and point you out tonight and I would be right. I didn't say I was going to. I just I said I could. But there are certain people in this congregation, I love every one of you, 
But there are certain people that if, if, if I were, or bishop or anybody, if, if someone was to come up to you and command you to do something, you're not going to do it. Even if you wanted to, you're not going to do it just for the simple fact no one's going to tell you. I challenge you to meet me after service and tell me I'm wrong. So, we come in the house of God and the Bible does command us. And all of a sudden the brakes are on. What are you doing to me, God? He's trying to take you from belief to receiving. Because you can't receive without believing. But believing doesn't mean you've received. But the gospel is going to command you to repent. It's going to command you to be born of water and of spirit. It's going to command it. They have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? So in verse number 16, it closes with, with explaining to us that, that obedience is a demonstration of belief. Amen. So it's just like Nick, Jesus telling Nicodemus, you must first believe in me. Verse 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And I have no intentions of harping on this this evening because I've got far more things to say. But again, and we'll probably continue to say this until Jesus comes because we continue to fight this battle probably until Jesus comes. But it's important to understand that if your faith is lifted by the word, if you're not here to hear it, your faith is not getting lifted. Now I realize everyone who's not here is the people that needs to hear that. I, I get that. But you need to hear it too because you need to re be reaffirmed in the fact of why you're here. When I, I, I forget the statistic, and, and I don't know if Pastor said it here or if I heard it uh, somewhere else or, or, or if it was just in conversation, but there is a, an eyebrow-raising statistic on the number of churches that have digressed to only one service a day. It was pastor that said that, wasn't it, recently? Now, I, I'm, I'm not throwing off on those that have elected to do that. But I will tell you that if the Bible says not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but so, what is it, Bishop? So much more. So much what? So much convenient? So much more as you see what? What day? This day. The last day. The era of this generation. So much more as you see the day approach. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to make up our mind. I don't want to go to hell. I want to make heaven my home. I want to see Jesus. I need my faith lifted. To get my faith lifted, I need to hear the word. To hear the word, I need to be in church. And when I come to church, God takes my belief and gives me something to receive from it and gives me an action. Woo! I about felt that leg almost come up. Uh 
<laughs> so salvation leads to relationship. And relationship makes you a beneficiary in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what the Word of God's telling us. We are His beneficiaries. We are His heirs. Let's go, Brother Malone, to the book of Romans chapter 8. It says in verse number 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We also see this in our opening text we started with this morning, Galatians 4 and 6, and says, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Son, speaking of sons, will you go into this room and get me the podium? The one that's at the back on wheels will be fine and bring it out here. Thank you. Verse number 7 says, Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. There's a statement in Romans 8 and in Galatians 4. The statement is, Abba, Father. And I want, I want to, with the help of the Lord, I want to illustrate some things to you. Uh, if you'll just be patient with me this evening. I want to try to illustrate it to you as I feel that God has unveiled it to me uh, through, through research and study. If you could put that over here, please. The word Father in this particular verse comes from the Greek, and it, it comes from the Greek word pater, possibly the word that we get paternal from. And it just simply means a father or a parent. The word Abba, its root is founded in Aramaic. Now, I'm, I'm going to illustrate some things to you this evening. Uh, some of you know, I started, I believe it was in March, about five months ago, I started taking a class in, in the language of modern Hebrew. Now, I'm not here to teach Hebrew class. I'm not here to try to convince you that you need to understand Hebrew. But knowing that the Word of God's foundation was written in Hebrew and Greek, it is an important language. And it, it deepens and broadens our understanding to a certain degree. And uh, I, I vowed that uh, my, my uh, anybody who knows me knows I love language and culture anyway. But my particular interest in this language was both professional for two reasons. One, the company I work for is owned uh, by a group in Israel. And two, for ministry's sake. Uh, there is a difference, a, a broad difference between modern Hebrew and biblical Hebrew, but I've done my research, so I, I, I hope you'll, I trust that you'll know that. But the word Abba is founded in Aramaic, and it means father. It's generally agreed scholar, by scholars that Jesus and his disciples primarily spoke Aramaic at that time. It was the common language of Judea in the first century A.D., most likely a Galilean dialect, distinguishable from that of Jerusalem. The towns of Nazareth and Capernaum in Galilee were where Jesus spent most of his time. They were Aramaic-speaking communities. Biblical Aramaic and Biblical Hebrew are very closely related. 
Aramaic only accounts for 250 of the over 23,000 verses of Hebrew that come out of the Word of God. So while the word Abba in Hebrew has its root in Aramaic, it's still an active word today. Okay? Uh, so in Hebrew, in modern Hebrew, if you're going to refer to, to your father, the word is Abba. The same Abba that has its root back 2,000 years ago. So it's a very old word. But I want to illustrate to you, and I don't expect anybody to remember this, but you'll understand the reason why I hope, why I feel the need to illustrate this in just a few moments. But the word father in Hebrew is actually the word av. And it's spelled like that. I don't know if that's too small or too large. But that is the Hebrew writing for the word av. It means father or parent. There is an alternate word in Hebrew for father. And that is, as we read in our Bible this evening, the word Abba. And it is spelled like that. It's the same as Av with an extra character. Now, what I want to explain to you tonight is a couple of things about the Hebrew letters. We're going to tie this together. It's very deep. I hope you ate, ate more than cornflakes for lunch today because we're getting out of shallow waters for about 15 minutes. Okay? But there are three letters, or two letters actually involved here. Uh, it is uh, the first and second letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and they are comparable to our letter A and letter B. Can everybody see this? Or is my fat head in the way? So you've got the letter, you've got to have a letter here, it's called an Aleph. And you have a letter here that's called a Bet. They both have a meaning. Now we've talked, Bishop has taught us for years about how specific God's language is and how we know through the Word of God that every name has a meaning. Well, not only does every name have a meaning, the language they spoke has a meaning. And every letter in the alphabet or the alphabet has a name and a meaning. So the Aleph, which is the first letter in Abba, the Aleph means... Strong, it means power, and it means leader. Okay? The next letter in Abba is the B or the Bet. Bet means family, it means house. And it's also a preposition for the word in. Like if you're going in the house. And then we have another olive on the back side that still means strong. It means power. And it means leader. So what I felt in prayer and in study, what I felt God speak to me, concerning this, the depth of this word because I didn't want to just read over this. I've been, I've been pondering this for months. And that is, why did the writer, whenever he, he wrote this, why did he say, crying, Abba, Father? It's the same thing. Why would you make the same statement twice? Why would you say, Father, Father? What's the necessity? There's got to be a point. And the point is just, I believe very simply this, that whenever your family is in, Father. 
You have strength. You have power. And you have leadership. It's important that we take away from our relationship with Abba Father this very simple thing. I need my family and I need my house in God. I need my family and my house surrounded on the front side, woo, on the back side. I need God's strength. I need God's power. I need God's leadership. I want to be 360 degrees covered by the power, the spirit, and the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, one important component to the word Abba that distinguishes it from the word of. Because if you are a child in Israel today and you want to just refer to a father or a parent, you can very easily say of. But if you want to say, hey, daddy. If you want to say daddy, you're not going to use the word of because it's just a very cold, calculated, that's my father, that's my parent. But if I want to have an intimate connection with someone that's connected to me, I'm going to call him Abba because he's not just my father, he's my daddy, he's my everything, and he is in front of me, he's behind me, and I want my family in daddy. Somebody lift your hands and praise him together right now. I don't expect you to remember the characters. I don't, I don't expect you to remember all this. You may not be interested in it, but what I want you to take away from it is the meaning. We need our families in him. Let, let's, go to an, let's go to an earthly, let's go to a carnal and a natural perspective. Men, those whom your children call daddy, your representation of your father, no wonder they called the men the priest of the home. Your representation of who you are to your family should not just be of, you are more than a father. You are more than just a parent. You are the one that's supposed to have the strength, the power, and the leadership. And if your leadership stops on the front, but you're not surrounding your family and keeping them in God, then you're not being an Abba to your household. A dad has an intimate relationship with his children. A dad gives the hugs and the kisses. A father doesn't. There are plenty of fathers in this world that don't pay child support. But I'll guarantee you there's not a daddy anywhere that doesn't. Why? Because there's a connection. There's an intimacy. And there's, there's a desire and a will to say, I've got my family right here in the center of his will. I'm in the, I'm in the circumference of his power. I'm in the nucleus of his strength. And that's exactly where our fathers and our men and the priests of your home, where you need to keep your families, is right in the middle of everything God wants you to be. 
Aleph, Bet Aleph. Abba. Abba. My daddy. He's not just my father. My dad. Father is such a formal. You know, a lot of lot of super wealthy people who don't have an intimate connection with their families. Not that you can't have money and have that, but a lot of people they're 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 known to be very formal. Well, I don't know, mother. What about you? You know, or I'll have to speak with my father about that. It's okay, but what it reveals is there's really no connection. The connection is very cold and calculated. The connection is I have to talk to him simply because he's my parent. But there's a different connection with Abba. So we go back to Galatians chapter 6. And we see him because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. Crying, Abba, Father. Recognizing his fathership in my life, but at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm giving some intimacy here, and I'm saying, Daddy! Is this all right? I've got to... We're going we're gonna to go out of 15-foot out of waters. Now we're going to dive into about 30-foot waters for just a moment. I hope you've got this locked in. In one component of Hebrew, especially biblical Hebrew, is that every letter is associated with a number. And those numbers have meaning. And they correlate between the meaning of the letter and its implied meaning of what is being said. So when you read the Bible, it, this really just unveils very simply just exactly how complex God really can be. Because everything he says is very calculated. He doesn't say anything by accident. So it, it's called gematria. And it, it's the calculation of numerical values that are the equivalent to letters, words, or phrases on the basis of gaining insight into the interrelation of different concepts. So the basic, basic gematria for the letter Aleph is the number one. The Aleph is the first letter in the alphabet. And it represents something that is at the very core of, every, of what every Hebrew believes. And I know this personally from working with them for almost three years. And they don't have to be Jewish practicing. They don't have to be religious practicing. But every Hebrew, every national Hebrew believes in the one God. So at the front of their alphabet, they implanted the very concept of the oneness of God. That's the, that's the basic. The parts of the letter, Aleph, this is the cursive writing, but the print writing, uh, which I never use, is something similar to that. Lord, that's ugly. That's a little better. That is the print writing because in, in the language you read, your characters different than you write them. And before you get too confused about that, it's no different than our print writing and our cursive writing. Okay, But this is the character that is comprised. There's three different parts. And the numerical value of these three different parts is 26. 26 is also the numerical value of the biblical name of God Yahweh. That may not mean much to you. But what that means to me 
is that whenever you just see the letter, you have a God connection. But that that letter is used in the word Abba. Whenever Abba is spoken, it's carrying with it all of the power and the oneness of God. So if you truly want to get intimate with your Abba Father, you have to first accept the idea, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. You cannot separate. I, I mentioned this morning, oneness of God is inter interlaced throughout the entire Bible. It is. You just have to dig beneath the surface deep enough to see it. So this demonstrates the link between Aleph and God. The alphabet, the, the first letter and God. There are three characters Three manifestations to the Godhead, yet one God. The gematria for the word Aleph, I won't write it out for you tonight, but the, the, the numerical value of all the characters that comprise the word for the letter is one, one, one. All ones. All unity. All oneness. Three ones, one God. Representing. So when you see, what's, what's the point, Brother Mason? The point is, when we talk about Abba Father, we have to recognize, not only is he more than just a father, but in recognizing that he's more than just a father, we recognize he's the strength and power for our families. We recognize the revelation of the oneness of God. We recognize that Abba is our strength, our power, and the leadership we need for our homes and our lives is found in Abba. Stand with me tonight. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 6, I close with this. The two words, Abba and Father. And I pray somehow by the help of God, I've been able to illustrate this the way he gave it to me in my, my mind. Because you get in my mind, that's a dangerous place to be. It's hard to get back out sometimes. The two words, Abba and Father are represented side by side. The fact that Paul used the Jewish term Abba and the Gentile term Father speaks to the uniqueness of the, of the New Testament church. Because if you'll rewind the tape from Galatians back into the earlier portion of the Gospels, Gentiles were dogs. There was no grace. It was law. We had no opportunity for salvation. Tough luck. But now, we've entered the dispensation of grace. And now he's given us a very unique reminder that not only are you no longer servants, but you're sons. And I'm validating this for you, both Jews and Gentiles. Hallelujah. I'm validating this for all the dogs that used to not have a way. I'm reminding you by telling you that no longer, no longer in the power of God, no longer is there a difference in the salvation plan between my family, Jews, and those that I've allowed in. You now, whoo, my God, we now have equal access to a holy God. We don't need Jewish blood. All we need is His blood. And the Word of God declares... That when you receive the Holy Ghost, that it officially makes you a child of God. 
that there will be a cry heard. The word cry here is, is coming from a Greek word that means to exclaim, shriek, or scream. Why do we hear some people scream out when they get the Holy Ghost? It's because they just went from being a servant to a child. He is more than just our paternal father. And we are no longer servants. But as beneficiaries, we've been made heirs. What's a beneficiary? When, when you get a new job or, or you have a current job and you want to make a change, you, you go to Human Resources and you grab you a beneficiary form, you get you a life insurance form and you fill it out and, and it wants to know who are your beneficiaries. Who are you going to leave everything you have? Maybe it's, only, maybe it's only a dime and two pennies to rub together, but who are you going to leave what you have if something happens to you? And you mark down your beneficiaries. You, you ponder it carefully and you make sure the percentages are right and you sign it, seal it, deliver it, give it to them, and that's exactly what happens by law. It's no different in the Word of God. When you become a child of God, you've been made an heir of Christ. I wonder if we all this, this evening could just join around in this altar tonight and just begin to either stand kneel, lay, crawl, I don't care but just find a place and find a way to give some worship to God because you're no longer a servant to sin. You're no longer a servant to this society. You're no longer a servant to your adversary but you have been set free and in your freedom of Holy Ghost power God has delivered you to become a child of of the Most High God. Could you lift your hands and your voice? And Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.